0: Hey, it's Rachel Ishikawa, I'm the podcast editor here at Stateside, and behind every episode that you listen to every day, there's a team of producers who is working tirelessly to bring you these stories. And there's a lot that goes into making every episode, you know, of course there's the booking of the guests, there's editing the audio, but there's a lot more that goes on behind the scenes. We believe at Stateside in less extractive media, which means that we build relationships with a lot of our guests. For example, our ongoing coverage of the aftermath of the Oxford High School shooting is because of the relationships we've developed with people who've been directly impacted. If you support this kind of local journalism, the kind of journalism that is independent and shares the stories from your communities, Head over to michiganradio.org slash donate and make a contribution today. Okay, on to the show.
1: It takes 56 votes to pass a bill into law. You need every single vote. Any 56 of those voices matters a lot at any given point in time, depending on what the issue is. And I think that was something that Democrats struggled with early on and might continue to struggle with honestly, but that's part of a narrow majority.
2: For many Michiganders, they literally can't remember a time when Democrats had total control in Lansing's political structure. Big changes make for interesting legislation, and 2023 did not disappoint. I'm April Baer, and this is the Stateside Podcast, the year in state politics for 2023. What a wild year this has been in Michigan politics. Democrats have been in control at the state legislature and the governor's office for the first time in 40 years. And you better believe they had a laundry list of things that they wanted to accomplish while they were in the majority. Some tables turned really fast once the Democrats got to work, reversing decades of statutory precedent. But there were other policy points that turned out to be a lot harder to change. We've invited To talk to us about the state of politics, Colin Jackson of the Michigan Public Radio Network. Hey, Colin. Hey, April. Also with us to wrap up the year, Alyssa McMurtry, who covers Lansing for Gong War News Service. Alyssa, it's great to hear you.
3: Hi, thank you for having me.
2: I mean, I guess we should sort of start out talking by just the... Fact that the Democrats were had this majority, not just the majority in the House and the Senate, but the governor's office too—the so-called trifecta. There was this massive to-do list that everybody was talking about early in the year. Do you think the party was ready for this massive shift, Alyssa? Why don't we start with you, and I want to hear what Colin, what you think as well.
3: Oh, oh, boy. Personally, I don't know if they were, and I hopefully would think they also would agree with that statement. You know, I think when they started, they thought it was going to be one thing. And then I think as the year went on and it was a 56-54 majority, so you couldn't really lose those votes like you could if you had a wider margin. I think they learned, unfortunately, rather quickly that, you know, people don't always do what you want them to do. Shocker. Um, And just because someone is a Democrat doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to fall in line with you, you know, throughout the year and especially towards the last two or three months, we saw just how difficult it is to rally your troops and to be the majority party. I mean, I guess there are things
2: like if you've never chaired a hearing, if you've never really had to whip your caucus into line, there might be a skill set that needs to be developed. I don't know. Colin, what did you observe?
1: Yeah, so there's a metaphor, right? Drinking from a fire hose. And uh, to Alyssa's (laughs) point, I think that you can observe, and I kind of look at it like maybe writing a mechanical bull too, where you can see other people do it. You can watch Republicans in leadership for decades and see how they got things done and see how they went about things and whipping party votes in order. But at the same time, until you actually have to go about it, you know, so in the Senate, Majority Leader Winnie Brinks, she talks about having this whole detail plan that they've been working on for a long time now. And so when they got into the power, they were able to just get the ground running. And I think in the Senate, it's a little bit easier for Democrats to do that just because it's a more disciplined chamber. Typically, you have lawmakers that have been around for a while, you know, people that started in the House first and then saw how things were there before moving to the Senate. Versus in the house, you kind of have just political newcomers, you know, and now they're in a position of political power for one of the first times. There's a lot of learning curve for a lot of people coming in. So you have to teach people the process. People are also coming to terms with the fact that when you have only a 56 majority, and it takes 56 votes to pass a bill into law you need every single vote. And that means any 56 of those voices matters a lot at any given point in time, depending on what the issue is. And I think that was something that Democrats struggled with early on and might continue to struggle with, honestly. But that's part of a narrow majority.
2: I can't even get a family of three to agree on where we're going for dinner on the nights we go out. So, you know, I mean, this is the work. Let's get into some of the major policy initiatives this year. There's a lot we could talk about. I wanted to maybe start with the Reproductive Health Care Act. Democrats prioritized these rollbacks of restrictions on abortion procedures, both medication abortions and procedural abortions, and had to give up some of what they wanted. Colin, can you start us out? What did Democrats achieve in this area?
1: So what Democrats achieved was they were looking for repeal of a lot of different abortion restrictions that they said just were just unnecessary barriers to the procedure. For example, before a doctor can perform a procedure, they have to go over a lot of different materials with a patient, Um, some materials that patients may find disturbing, for example, pictures of where their fetus would be developmentally at the process. For patients who desperately wanted to carry a pregnancy through full term, but weren't able to because of X, Y, or Z medical condition or other reason, they thought it was kind of cruel to have patients go through that. So another policy that required freestanding abortion clinics to meet certain building requirements of surgical centers and that was something else too that people were saying basically made building new abortion clinics in underserved areas really hard to do and unnecessarily expensive. So those were the types of bills that Democrats did get passed through. The governor signed the actual bill titled the Reproductive Health Act, and that gets rid of a state requirement that for insurance plans, abortion coverage be purchased through a separate insurance rider. What they didn't get through was stuff like repealing the state's 24-hour abortion waiting period, Or Medicaid reimbursement for abortions. So they definitely had to make some compromises here, but they're proud of what they got done.
2: Alyssa McMurtry, do you get the sense that Democratic leaders want another run at this, maybe thinking that they can negotiate through some of the provisions they didn't get, assuming they can hold on to a
3: majority? It depends on how do Democrats feel about the state of abortion rights in Michigan. Do they think that it's pretty much done and there's just a few things left over that maybe they can get to later, or do they feel like there's still a lot of work to be done? You know, when they get back into session and when they, you know, do get that majority back, is that going to be the first thing that they pass through? I'm not sure because, you know, for the 24 hour waiting period and for the Medicaid funded abortions, removing that ban that was stopped by a Democrat, mm-hmm. basically Representative Karen Woodset saying that she didn't feel comfortable voting for that. She's from a majority Democratic district. It's not like she's in a hot seat where, you know, a Republican might come along and take it. She could have a challenger, who knows? But I don't think she's going anywhere anytime soon. So there's still that hurdle. And, you know, I talked to her when she had held that bill up when it was still in committee. And she told me that there were other Democrats that felt that way. She wasn't, you know, necessarily going to name names, but it sounded like there were at least a handful. So I don't know. And then there's also how are the disclosure requirements going? You know, they passed. There are disclosure requirements that they're supposed to for Proposal 2022-1. Right. This was
2: something that voters had approved as part of of a transparency and government reform package. Right. It didn't specify what transparencies had to be passed by the legislature, but something
3: did. Yes. And so some people within, again, the Democratic Party were not happy. They felt like it was too soft. It didn't go hard enough. So are we going to see that at the beginning of next year? There was also... Paid family leave that the governor had mentioned and her fall address that didn't get touched on. So I don't know. I don't know if for them, if the Reproductive Health Act is pretty much a wrap and then whatever they get done, they get it done throughout the year or if that's at the top of the agenda.
2: Suffice to say that if the Dems do come back in the majority, it's going to be another busy session as far as things that didn't get done. Let's move on to another issue. Democrats took a second look of reforms of the auto no-fault system. Folks might remember that Michigan has a long and storied policy of providing In-home care and other kinds of lifetime health care to people who have been involved in catastrophic auto wrecks. All that took a major adjustment in 2019 when the Republicans were in control and Governor Whitmer got on board and signed off on it. And Democrats wanted to roll back on some of this. Colin, what was significant about the fact that this issue got revisited?
1: Well, this is something that, like you mentioned, since these bills have gone into effect, it's been controversial. You've had a lot of different survivors in the Capitol every day protesting to try to get lawmakers to do something about the changes. When Republicans were in control, there's always been bipartisan support. You know, you had a lot of people in significant positions of power within the Republican caucus that wanted to get this done. You had a lot of Democrats joining them and calling on it. I believe at the time, at least Whitmer had signaled that she would sign something that got to her desk. But also, there's the possibility that she knew the legislature wouldn't have gotten something to her desk at that point because they didn't. Even going up into the end of lame duck last year, there was a lot of talk and kind of whispers in the hallway about whether or not this would get done. Now, when we actually saw the Senate bills being sponsored by Senators Mary Kavanaugh and Sarah Anthony get introduced, going through the committee process, making it out of the Senate, there was a lot of hope, I think, from the accident survivor community and also the advocate community. But so far, they haven't gotten a hearing in the House yet. I believe that doesn't necessarily mean they won't get done in the House. It just seems like there's a little bit of a slow momentum now. So that's kind of where things stand.
2: Alyssa, I wanted to ask you about the developments in Lansing this year on policies related to climate change. This was something the Democrats said they were absolutely committed to. The state's aspirational goal is to get to 80 percent renewables by 2035. What got done?
3: So we know that the governor signed some bills that were meant to expand wind and solar energy and allow, you know, for instance, allow farmers to possibly lease part of their land for those purposes. This was controversial, for sure. The Republicans were not happy about these bills at all. A lot of them, you know, from their statements, they didn't think it was realistic. They thought it would lead to more brownouts, blackouts, rake up prices. So it, it got done. We'll see what happens. Obviously, it is, it is a pretty lofty goal. I think they want to be, what, 0% emissions by 2050. It sounds far away now, but I mean, 2013 feels like it was five months ago to me. So right. <laughs> 2050 <laughs> could be right around the corner. And that's a lot of renewable energy you got to get to people. And it's a lot of changes. We'll see what happens with that. But they got it done. And I'm sure a lot of climate energy activists are happy about it. I know that they wanted a little more. It seems like, you know, everybody wants a little more out of whatever legislation is getting passed. But, you know, it seems for the most part, they're pretty satisfied. They definitely feel like it's at least a starting ground. It's at least a base. But I think that was probably the biggest one that got done this year. And then, you know, recently I, it wasn't necessarily the legislature, but I know that line five, the tunnel around line five kind of got that push to go ahead. So that also not for the activists, and I guess in favor of those who are good with coal energy. So it sounds like people kind of got what they wanted this year, but obviously not everybody got what they wanted.
2: We need to pause for just a moment. When we return, we'll discuss environmental policies and some under the radar moments at the legislature. We'll be right back. Support for the Stateside Podcast comes from Kalamazoo College, offering a personalized education that combines critical thinking, curiosity, and creativity. Committed to preparing students for meaningful careers that make a positive impact on the world. More at kzoo.edu.
3: Support for Michigan Public's stateside podcast comes from Lake Trust Credit Union, working to empower financial well-being for Michigan consumers, businesses, and communities. Committed to financial solutions and advice to support people and families. More information at laketrust.org. We're going
2: to continue my conversation now with Capitol reporters Colin Jackson of the Michigan Public Radio Network and Alyssa McMurtry of Gong War News Service. We're talking about this year in state politics, the first time in four decades that the Democratic Party controlled both houses of the legislature and the governor's office. I wanted to ask you both if there were some other notable moments that maybe didn't get as much attention out of the agenda that you thought were significant this year. I don't know, Colin, do you want to start? And then Alyssa, I'm curious to hear your take on this as well, If it, like stuff that was a little below the radar, but still important.
1: When you're looking back at the entire year, kind of what Alyssa was saying, everything just feels like such a blur. There were definitely a lot of moments, I would say, that did get attention while I try to rack my brain for the smaller moments, but I'm thinking about, for example, when the Elliott Larson expansion passed in the Senate, you know, you had all the applause and everything. And That was a really emotional moment. Representative Lori Pohetsky giving her speech about repealing Michigan's abortion ban, the 1933 abortion ban. Uh, and she ripped up, literally ripped the page out of the book of Michigan's laws, you know, and that was another emotional moment. There were kind of like the smaller behind the scenes moments when you saw the tensions play out within the Democratic caucus on the floor. I'm thinking when they were trying to pass the Detroit land value property tax bills that had been uh, supported by Mayor Duggan. That was something that when it did go on the board, it was up there for like an hour and a half. It felt it, it was up there for a while. And you had a lot of red on that board and you had a lot of just empty Democratic votes. And it was pretty clear that those blank Democratic votes weren't going to change green anytime soon. So, you see, like, different people going around the floor trying to talk to people, get to concerns, et cetera. And obviously, they took the vote down, it didn't pass. So, you see those moments also. And I think those are just as telling as the winning moments, you know, where people feel like, okay, I'll vote for energy because that's something that I campaigned on. That's what I want, even if I'm not getting everything I want, versus something that they don't feel like they want to do in favor for Mayor Duggan or whatever X, Y, or Z policy that not everyone's obviously on board for, there's a lot more work to be done behind the scenes. And I think those are the little moments I think that stood out to me, at least. For sure.
2: Alyssa, what about you? Anything beyond the top lines that might really stick in your head about this year?
3: Yeah, I think for me, I'm more so interested, and I think we'll see it play out more next year during the election. Um, I'm interested in a lot of those voting access bills, um, kind of solidifying those nine days of early voting, getting a lot of that proposal 22 to language on the books for people it'll be interesting to see how it plays out how precincts do with that i know that funding has funding is always an issue but funding for elections is not cheap a lot of these people that are going to end up on these permanent absentee ballot lists it'll be interesting to see how that plays out where that money's going to come from if what these counties and what these precincts have been given is it enough I'm interested to see the effects of that. Um, I, I think it got some pretty good coverage, but maybe it didn't get all the coverage that it necessarily deserved. And that might just be because we don't know how that all that's going to go yet. So, you know, I'm looking forward to 2024 and seeing how that played out. But the land value tax, I will agree with Colin. I thought that was very, very interesting, especially when um, there were some millings about, about you know, oh, well, other people want this for their cities too. And it's like, oh, okay, this is interesting. So is this, you know, when we come back to this next year, is it going to be just for Detroit, or are we going to see a few more cities on that list? Right. Again, we'll see in 2024.
2: Another thing I wanted to ask you, too, is whether you feel like the majority made any major enemies this session. There were a number of things that went into Democrats being able to flip the House and the Senate. And some would say that redistricting was a part of that. You know, certainly you can't do it without solid campaigning and candidates. But if Democrats want to hold on to that trifecta, the House, the Senate and the governor's office, you know, 2024 is an election year. If, say, well-heeled power companies or if big business groups wanted to, they'd certainly have the resource to spend on challengers. Do you foresee any players getting involved in big spending on swing seats? I don't know. Colin, you want to go first?
1: Uh, I think in terms of like enemies that the Democrats would make and whether or not that would maybe come from uh, energy companies. One thing when it came down to, for example, the big energy rewrite was I believe those at the final end, the last committee we heard on those bills in the Senate, at least I believe like DTE and consumers said they were neutral on the legislation. And those are both companies that spend a lot of money on both sides of the aisle already. So I don't necessarily know if they would just shift their strategy to backing one party versus backing everybody. And similarly, for some of the other big organizations, you know, I mean, when we saw the repeal of right to work, obviously, you saw business groups opposed to it and all that. At the same time, though, if you're, let's say, like the big three automakers, you still need a lot of. Democratic support to get things done, you still if you're any type of major business, you know, you're more incentivized to work with the state than against it in a lot of ways. So even though you can express frustration with one policy, you know, you can also express pleasure with a different policy. I don't necessarily know. So I don't necessarily know if Democrats have any new enemies that they wouldn't have already naturally had, based on how they governed this time around. Maybe uh, some of the things would be what kind of on the more personal, like the inner, the political drama part of it all, you know, in terms of how some of those early bills got passed and some of the uh, theater that we saw around Republicans adjusting to being the minority and Democrats kind of getting their retribution in terms of like not letting them talk before certain votes or gaveling them down. And similarly to how Republicans had gaveled Democrats down in the past and a little bit of that like, taste of your own medicine type thing. And whether or not that was all uh, in good faith, um, I think that may have made some early enemies, but at the same time, time heals all wounds in some way, shape, or form. And there's, again, you still have incentive to work together on stuff you want to see done. And we still saw bipartisan bills pass even at the end of the session. So obviously those weren't critical wounds.
2: Alyssa, what about you? Was there anything that came up that you think might might start to influence what happens next year in election season?
3: You know, I I think if the Democrats are in trouble, it might be more so, you know, I think this time around it might be out of their hands. I think people might not be happy with the economy. Well, I know a lot of people aren't happy with the economy. Uh they're not happy with, you know, how expensive everything is. They're not happy with the inflation and everything. And, you know, whether or not it's your fault, sometimes Whatever party is in power does get blamed. So if Democrats don't win in 2024, I could see a lot of it having to do with how people feel about the economy, how people feel about, you know, their chances of moving up and down on the economic ladder. And the other thing too is, you know, with the Israel Hamas issue. Um, and you know, that's kind of become a divide in the Democratic Party as well. I was hearing a lot
2: from voters who do care about that issue, saying, mm-hmm. saying, do my elected representatives share my views? And, you know, like really yeah. waiting to see, you know, who was going to make a public statement and which side they were going to come down on. So I, I see, I definitely see what you're saying.
3: Yeah, I think um, it was not too long ago, there were several uh, Muslim leaders coming together saying, you know, abandon Biden. They have that campaign going. Um You know, but I think maybe a few days after that, you know, former President Trump had said something about instituting the Muslim ban again. So I don't know how that's going to play out, too. (laughs) Um, So, you know, I think those two issues will really determine how people feel in 2024. But I think as far as the electorate and, you know, the people that voted in Democrats in 2022, I think they're pretty satisfied with the results they got, that Reproductive Health Act. Um, you know, they got the financial disclosures kind of, sort of, um, they got a lot of the voting proposals that they wanted. Um, they got the Elliot Larson act expanded. So I think for them, they've had a, a pretty successful year, um, in giving what their voters giving them what they wanted. Um, and I think, you know, to capitalize on that, that might be doing some of those 2019 auto reforms and making some changes to that. And that might secure their seat. That might hurt their seat. I don't know. So, but like I said, I think ultimately it will come down to how people feel about the economy.
2: Alyssa McMurtry covers slanting politics for Gongwer News Service. We've also been talking to Colin Jackson of the Michigan Public Radio Network. Boy, you two, is it Miller time? I hope you catch a break over over the holidays. We so appreciate your wrapping this up for us. Absolutely. Thank you for
3: having me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's been a pleasure.
2: That's the Stateside Podcast for today. You better believe we'll have more politics coverage for you in the new year. Let's meet up after the holidays and see how that's going. Till then, please remember us kindly in your late December giving. We could not do this podcast every day without the financial support of people like you who thrive on Michigan news. Today's pod episode was produced by Mike Blank. Other producers on our show are Ronia Caronzag, Mercedes Mejia, and April Van Buren. Our interns are Olivia Meradian and Lauren Neong. Our podcast editor is Rachel Ishikawa, and our executive producer is Laura Weber Davis. Music for the pod comes from Blue Dot Sessions and from Audio Network. I'm April Baer. Good to have you with us today. We'll see you tomorrow.